With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening, this is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those who, that are suffering from domestic abuse. I am live tonight, so you can call in if you would like, and my number is 917. 917- Eight eight nine eight zero seven eight. And if you are listening and would like to get in touch with me by email, you can do that as well. My email address is shereencwr at gmail.com, S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Okay, my DV conference, uh, I've talked about this for a few times this month. Well, be coming up on October 16th and 17th. That's next week at Tuacon in Ivins, Utah. This is the only DV conference in Southern Utah, and I only uh, know of one other uh, conference, uh, DV conference this year in Utah, and it's put on virtually by Pictar. They're absolutely amazing. So look that up. Should be going on right now. Uh, we have some great speakers lined up. Ashley Martledge will be back. She's uh, come every year to our conference and she's amazing. She's the one that comes from Texas, but this year she's coming from um, San Diego. She thought she'd like to spend some time in San Diego. She's one of our conference favorites. Another conference favorite is Susie Fletch from PICTAR. Um, again, she's absolutely amazing. She has a couple great topics and she's doing, um, she's making, doing wonderful with PICTAR. They're just doing amazing things. Um also, Susan Mingles, uh, new this year, she's going to be uh, talking or sharing with us her story and how she won big in court. And so that's going to be really important to some of those of you that are uh, going to court. She's going to give some great ideas. Uh, we also have a lawyer, Robert Latham. Um, he has some great topics, uh, just amazing. He's actually attended the conference um, the last two years. I have to tell you that any uh any public service uh, person such as teachers, um, law enforcement, DAs, uh, lawyers, judges, I admire those that seek out things like this that are close, inexpensive, and able to learn more about your job. I think that's wonderful. As a teacher, I go to everything I can find, everything I can find, because I want to learn more not only about my job as a teacher, and as a um, administrator, but I also want to learn more about the domestic violence field. It's it's just amazing. Okay, and also um, uh, the cost again this year is free. Uh, we decided that we would not charge anything. If you want to sign up for this, uh, my DV conference, it's DVA 
conference at gmail.com. I'm sorry. That's the email. DVAconference.com. And uh, no, yes, yes, DVAconference.com. <laughs> and with that being said, I want to welcome you all back to my show. Um, it's been a great month, hasn't it? Uh, the COVID thing is like, seems like it's gone pretty much. It's pretty nice. I would like to remind everyone that our show is every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central uh, through October. Then I'll be gone. I'll only be doing it twice a month after that. And the reason why is because I'm working, finishing up my dissertation and I wanted it to be done long before now. So I'll be putting a lot of effort into that. And then once that's done, I am back full time again. Okay, I would like to remind everyone that our show is on every, oh, Thursday night, I told you that, 6 p.m. Pacific, okay, 7 Mountain and 8 Central. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio if you subscribe to those services. If you want a direct link to those services, you can go to the CWR homepage on the website cwrtalknetwork.com and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-7233. And we're going to go to a public service announcement, and I'll be right back and introduce our topic. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I improved my credit score. You're kidding, right? Uh, no. How are we supposed to be the bad boys of electrosynth pop if you're out there being responsible? The band is about to be discovered. This is our year. Uh, yeah, you've been saying that for a while now. You think anyone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was worried about their credit score? I never really thought that. Of you're... course they weren't. Rock stars aren't supposed to think about that kind of stuff. We're supposed to think about how many guitars we've smashed, write aggressively sensitive power ballads, start questionable fashion trends, tragically break up and blame creative differences. All right, all right, just... I thought maybe it was time to take control of my finances, you know? Start using a budget. Get out of debt. Set some goals. A budget? Debt? Set some goals? Listen, I knew that we'd have our creative differences, but I was hoping they'd involve a little more scandal. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Welcome back. This is Shereen, and you're on Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. So I'm going to do something a little bit different um, tonight. Uh, I was interviewed on uh, by uh, April Tribe uh, Juke and uh, on her show. Uh, she has a, a vlog, and it's just absolutely amazing. Anyway, so while we were on her vlog, um, I talked about red flags. Remember a few weeks ago I told you I'd be talking about red flags coming up, and I was hoping I would make it on one of my past shows, uh, but I got too involved on too many other things and it just didn't happen. So, so let me tell you a little bit about April. Uh, her actual name is April Tribe Juke, which I really like the 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 name Tribe. That's pretty cool. Um, she's one amazing lady. She has her own vlog uh, that she uses to help bring awareness to domestic violence. She wrote a book called Pinpoints of Light 
uh, on her blog. She signs for those who are deaf, so she speaks all, and she speaks all over the United States. Um, she is just wonderful, and her life really reflects her dreams to help survivors in domestic violence. She's absolutely amazing. Um, well, I was her first interview for uh, this conference that she's having for this month. And, uh, of course, it was on Red Flags. I had done it just a week before, given an, uh, a talk on Red Flags. So I didn't think it would be too difficult, and I didn't prepare very well. In fact, I was working on my dissertation trying to straighten everything out when all of a sudden I my alarm goes off and says, you'll be on um, <laughs> April's show in one hour. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> so I wasn't as prepared as I usually am. And that I, I was a little overconfident, um, just saying. <laughs> I shouldn't have been. So uh, you're going to hear uh, April up first, and then you'll hear me respond. I will stop it from time to time because there's things that I want to review and discuss because um, at times I didn't finish some thoughts and so forth. So here we go. This, we're starting out with April. Everyone, and welcome to our domestic violence conference that's virtual and free called Unite in Light. We are so excited that you are here tonight with us. Tonight, April Tribe Duke, along with Shireen K. Rice. Now, Shireen is an amazing woman, and I'm going to give her time to share all about herself. And and all of the amazing things that she's been doing. But first of all, because this is October the 1st, which kind of is that signal and start to our Domestic Violence Awareness Month, give an entire month to make sure that we help people be aware about the challenges of domestic violence and abuse, any kind of abuse. I have experienced verbal and emotional abuse that was just as terrifying and shattering as the physical abuse has been. And so I don't want you to think, oh, that's only for this particular section of pain or of abuse. This is for anyone that if their spouse, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, anything is in you properly, this is here for you. Also advocate for supporters, for anyone that is needing any kind of information, this whole conference over the next six days, different days throughout the month, because I want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity and time to tune in. So with tonight being our first night of the Domestic Violence Awareness Conference of Unite in Light, we want to welcome everybody here this evening. It looks like we have a few people joining us. Thank you, Terry Wood, for snagging and inviting Jeanette Brewer. And thank you, Sandra, for coming here. Hello to you. Sandra comes all the way from the East Coast. I want to say Delaware. That's probably wrong. Probably Connecticut. Probably something else. So I apologize, Sandra. But thank you so much for showing up here with us this evening. And Terry, who's your state? Bring them on in. And let's go ahead and, and kind of get things rolling here. And we're so excited and grateful for everyone coming. So, Shireen Rice, she has been involved with so many different, I would say, facets and aspects of domestic violence that I would love for her to kind of share a little bit about herself using her own words and us being there for her as that support. As she finishes through that, we're going to jump into the hot topic of tonight, which is red flag conversations, red flag warnings 
anything to do with a red flag that might give you that signal of time to get out of here before anything else happens. So this is our evening and welcoming for our first night in event. We are so happy that she is here tonight. So Shereen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so to tell you about myself, um, I uh, am the founder and CEO of SAVE, S-A-V-V-E, uh, Saving Abuse and Violence Victims Through Education. We hold a conference every year and we'll be holding our conference on the 16th and 17th of October in Ivan's, Utah at Tuacon, if anyone's familiar with that. Um, I write books on domestic violence. I blog on domestic violence. I facilitate for other um, other DV uh, groups. Um, what else do I do? Uh, I have my own radio show, <laughs> online radio show. I'm working on my dissertation. I'm finishing that up. It's also on healing and empowerment for domestic, female domestic violence um, survivors, actually. And, um, and so I pinpoint that a little bit more. Uh, it's uh, through social media groups where women find therapeutic uh, social media groups uh, for domestic violence specifically and how they have obtained healing empowerment through those groups. Uh, let me see. Uh, I'm very, very busy because of all of this. Um, I advocate um, for domestic violence victims. I go to court with them if they ask me to. Um, uh, just about anything you can do, I, I try to do it. That's amazing. Your skills, gifts, talents have really been amplified by something that's really challenging and negative. And were you surprised at what You've experienced things that I'm sure you'll share throughout the evening. Mm -hmm. And in those experiences, finding where your light and where your strengths and your skills and your talents are, isn't that an interesting thing that Heavenly Father gives us these things and um, through experience, through trials, through pain, through grief, through sometimes really unbelievable things that are happening there is still positivity that can shine through. I mean, now you listed all of the things that you do now to help other people. And I'm sure growing up, you, you don't necessarily have that conscious thought of, you know, I'm going to be an amazing advocate one day. Yeah, I'm going to just rock it. You know, it, it's just a different thing. And and so the, the joy and the, I would say, the comfort that you can give and offer to people is, is amazing. So thank you so much, Shereen, to not shrink away, but to stand up loud and proud, be there as that supporter, as that advocate, doing the things that are necessary to keep this awareness out there. So share a little bit about your domestic violence conference that you're going to be holding on the 16th and 17th of October. Share with us a little bit about that. Um, it's uh, all day. It's, it's free. Uh, you can come. I will also be recording. I have a film crew coming in. So that I can put it on, I do have a YouTube site that I actually have nothing on at this time because I'm still learning how to put on YouTube. Uh, let's see. I have people coming from, well, one dear friend that always opens my conference or has for the past three years, usually comes from Texas, but she's uh, in San Diego right now, so she's going to be coming up. I have people coming down from Salt Lake to speak. I have people coming down from um, Provo to speak. 
Uh, I'm hoping that Kit Gurel will be speaking. Uh, she and I have talked several times. She's in the East Coast, um, South Carolina, I believe it is. And she's the author or participant in um, Private Violence. That's a flick that's out on domestic violence. And uh, let me see. I have a lawyer speaking. He's speaking both days on um, Friday and on Saturday. I have uh, my president is speaking. She's going to be talking about what helps her in court. And another woman that's coming down from Provo will also talk about what helped her in court. Uh, we need to get the legal and the justice system uh, paired up with domestic violence. There's actually quite a division. And so it wasn't intentional, but it seems to be how things are working out right now in the conference. And, you know, only the Lord is in control of that. So I didn't control that. <laughs> I like how you leave it up into the hands, what great faith to, to try in that effort, because it feels like a theme is being built. It looks like the justice system is one of these big focuses. And um, for tonight, with the red flag, um, conversations, red flag signs that happen, can you start to share with us some of those things that you see and what happens when we ignore them? First of all, just share with us what are some of the signs that you can give maybe the top five really specifically, or there's probably more than that, but something where our audience can digest it tonight to see, you know, hey, I might see that behavior, or my friend or my daughter is dating someone. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I was wondering about that. So kind of think in those aspects about what we can share tonight with our audience. Okay, it's actually not that easy to just say, hey, because I am a behavioral specialist, I'm really good at that. I'm an educator by trade and a principal at this time, and behavior, I love it. But the thing is, is you have to put it in perspective. And a perspective is, is the person trying to have power and control over another person based on anything that they're doing, or is that person trying to take back their power. Now, I will say sometimes tactics are used, the same ones are used by both parties. You have to understand who's doing what and try to figure that out before you say, oh, that one's an abuser, or I'm the victim, or he's the victim and she's the abuser. It's very difficult to um, make that just based on a tactic or a red flag. So I will share some red flags, but keep that in mind. That's the thing that you need to keep in um, to understand, to, to know what you're looking for. So when it comes... Okay, so I just want to make sure that you all understand what I was trying to say. So abusers, there are red flags of abusers, correct? And uh, they have an issue. It's called power and control. That's their only issue. They have to have control over another person. Victims, however, they need to have control of their own life because their life has been taken away in more ways than one. Uh, a lot of times they have been um, ridiculed down to nothing and they feel like nothing. And so they want who they were back because these abusers try to change them. I have one friend uh, recently. Uh, he's tried to change everything that the way she dressed, the way she looked, uh, everything about that. Uh, they they want to change who you are. They they want you to become 
what they want you to be. And you want to be whom you are. And so you're fighting against this losing battle. And uh, you have been uh, put down to nothing. And you're a puddle on the ground. And you reach up for any type of attention that your abuser will give you. Because remember, uh, again, uh, the person A and person B, I'll talk about that again here. But the difference between an abuser and a victim sometimes is difficult to identify if you're looking from the outside in. It's motives that you have to look for. Is this person want power and control over that person? Or is that person trying to take back their control? Those are the two things that all law enforcement need to be looking at. If you're trying to identify, which should be, uh, that should be a, uh, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, leave that to the professionals. But uh, that is uh, the, the problem. It's hard to identify unless you're really, really good at this. And um, I can tell only because I know exactly how a, an abuser behaves and I know how a, a victim responds and I sometimes won't even look at the abuser. I'll watch how the, uh, vic- the other person responds to the other person. Um, and I can tell who's the abuser and who's the victim. So again, keep in perspective while I'm talking about the red flags. Uh, one has power, wants power and control over another, whereas the other one wants to take back their power and control. And sometimes they use the same red flags to, to accomplish their goal. Okay, let's continue on. Comes to red flags, let me tell you what the first one is that I always talk about. Um, and aren't we lucky I just talked about this to a group of young teens uh, last week. Um, and a lot of you are going to say, oh, my gosh, I did it. That can't be a red flag. So it is. It, I call it gossip. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Because if uh, someone that's an abuser and they want to – and they start talking about someone – Guaranteed unequivocally, they're going to be talking about you next. So you want to avoid people who are talking about someone, especially their last, uh, actually last victim, but you don't know that yet. Um, So I just say just stop all gossip, and that is the first thing to eliminate you from that list. (laughs) Okay, I want to add to that. It's uh, not just gossip. It's what's called a smear campaign. I don't think I even br- brought this up during this interview. It's called a smear campaign, and what they do is they smear you to all of your friends, your family, your uh, their friends, and how they smear you is they make you look crazy. And they know exactly what to do, how to poke you and, and prod you to get you to do that. They also know how to minimize anything that you've done of consequence. Um, or of achievement and maximize all their achievements. They also know how to maximize all your faults and minimize all theirs. So that's how they create this smear campaign through gossiping. So I just say cut all gossip. Anyone who wants to talk negatively about another person, don't bother me. I'm not listening because I don't care. Um, Yeah, and I've told people that too. Um, It doesn't matter to me. That, that doesn't matter to me. I like that person, so don't don't talk to me about that. Okay, so here, uh, I'm going to continue on. And what a powerful thing, because gossip happens continuously, right. and I'm sure, you know, the length and the, the degree and and probably some of the 
that passive aggressiveness that's coming out with it. I mean, there are bad day gossip days, right, where we've just had it. But then I think if you're watching the pattern, right, if you're watching this, wow, this is a pattern that's building. That, yeah, I agree with you on that. And it looks like people are jumping on here saying this is such a vital and important topic. Yeah. And Cecilia, she's all the way from Canada showing up for awesome. live with us tonight. So thank you so much. This is great. A lot of people are sharing and saying it's hello. Hard. So this is fantastic. That first step, gossip, and especially if we start seeing that continuous pattern, Really, really important. That's, that's kind of eye-opening. Are you guys yeah. awake on that? I am. I'm like, whoa. That's, and let me tell you why. Right there. Because abusers do what's called um, smear campaigning. And they gossip uh, while they're smearing you. And they create an environment around them. And you'll never know it's happening until everything's over, pretty much. But uh, they'll start a smear campaign almost upon you committing to them and uh, so they're not abusing you directly they're abusing you indirectly through gossip of course and so that's why they do it they have to uh, make you feel sorry for them they love uh, the fact that women are nurturers and we feel bad for them and like oh my gosh I can't believe she treated you like that. <laughs> that's my favorite because I did that. That's why that's my favorite. <laughs> and um, I'm like, oh, not all women are like that. Let me just show you that we're wonderful. <laughs> and what I didn't know was, uh, yeah, he was the one that was abusing her. And <laughs> that's why her behavior is somewhat like that. Um, but I did see someone said something about venting versus gossiping. What is the difference? Uh, number one, if someone vents to me, Number one, I I will never share that with anyone. Once I share that, now I'm gossiping. Once I share that with anyone, now I'm gossiping. It comes in, it goes out. I'm like, what can I do to help you? I'm sorry, you're going through this. You know, that, that sounds horrible. What can I do? So you want to show empathy, um, but don't take it in, of course. But as soon as you share that, yeah, you're, you're gossiping. <laughs> Like I want to add more to the venting. People vent because they're frustrated. Now, they are frustrated with what they think is right in front of them. So that's what they want to vent about. But a lot of times, anyone who wants to vent is actually venting about what's going on at home or going on in a different environment. Um, so they're venting about what's happening in front of them. I hate what's going on today. Uh, life is heck at work. But yet, what they're really angry about is what's going on at home. And what's going on in their personal life. And when people bring in negativity, it's usually because of what's going on at home, not what's going on at, at their job location. Now, uh, granted, some people are upset about their good job location, correct, and, and things that are happening at work. And, um, but venting is very, very important. But if someone vents to you, you don't share it. You don't talk about it. You just ask them, hey, what can I do to help you? Um, can I be there for you? Can, you want to talk more? You just let me know. Have a lot of empathy. Just say, you know what? I've been there, man. I, I understand. Uh, I, I get it. Uh, it's been one of my pet peeves, too. But keep in mind also, very much so, that if someone is venting, most likely what they're talking to you about isn't what that's really bothering them. What they're talking to you about is what's in front of them and they want to complain about it because really they're angry about what's going on at home 
and they can't do anything about that. And just with that, we're going to continue, okay? I'm sorry. Venting is, is I go to someone and I just say, oh, my gosh, i got to get this on my chest, and I share it, and it's over with. And I have to vent once in a while. <laughs> I just do. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. We all need to vent once in a while. And so these looks like people are right here, right on top of it. These red flags are really important to hear. So venting is different yeah. than gossiping. That gossiping starts to spread, and the pattern continuously happens. So yeah. what is the second piece to some of these red flags? Uh, well, do you want me to go through more red flags? <laughs> I have like yes, 10 cases yes. of them. Yes, give us just the top five, so to speak. I mean, because that gossip one, we all relate to, and we're like, yeah. oh, oh boy, I, I'm sure yeah. we're, ch- I'm checking. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, okay, I can improve on that. Right. Um, another big one is, is lies, and it'll be very, very difficult, um, to identify the lies until, until pretty much it's over. Uh, it's hard to identify that. Again, one that's really powerful but won't be used on you until they know they have- I want to talk a little bit more about lies. Number one, an abuser will typically, when their mouth is moving, they're typically lying. Uh, they lie through their actions. They lie through their words. Uh, I was talking to a friend recently, and she goes, yeah, this guy, he just kept after me and after me and after me. He just wanted to go out with me. He was just so doting on me, and I just, it was just wonderful. And I, I'm like, you know, what did I do to deserve all this? And now she's, you know, looking back on that. And I, was, I said, well, it's because he wanted to move in and she goes, I didn't even ask him to move. It was anything we discussed. He just kind of moved in. Abusers will give attention uh, when they want something and he's now uh, alienation of attention is uh, of affection is what she's enduring right now. And cause he got what he wanted, right? He's got a house. He's, you know, got someone to take care of them, blah, blah, blah. And that's what they do. Every, their words are lies. Their actions are lies. Their manipulation, of course, is just that. So let's continue on. But lies are, it's embedded in them. Their mouth is moving. They're lying. I love that song by Megan Trainer. I'd be playing it right now if I could. But if their mouth is moving, they're lying. Okay? Just keep that in mind. They have complete power and control over you as threats. They love that. Shaming, blaming, uh, both both of those are huge. Okay, threats. I just said that. That's a huge one. Uh, they love to threaten you with everything. Uh, you do that, I'll do this to you. You do that, I'll do this to the kids. Um, I had my ex-husband say, you, do, you, divorce, you file for divorce, I'll kill the kids. I'll kill myself. Threats. Everything's threats. Um you do that, I'll sell your house in St. George. You do this, I'll do that. You know, uh, it's constant threats. And you live live under threats constantly. The shaming and blaming, um, it's constantly, you know, why do you do, they're constantly going, why do you do this? And why do you do that? And why are you so mean? And, and blah, 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 blah. And then shaming, um, you know, <laughs> you're really overweight. You, you need to lose that. You're you got to put on more makeup, man. That that just not you're just not looking good. You know, they love to shame you, and in public, oh my gosh, they love to ridicule you in public, which is shaming, of course. 
And uh, so watch for those as well. Huge. Uh, minimizing what you do, maximizing. Can you repeat that? Uh, which one? Can you repeat that again? We've got a glitch um, okay. on the. So we've talked about we've talked about the the gossip and venting. Well, gossip and venting. Yeah. And then you you mentioned the next piece, is which lies. the lies. But they're really challenging to know until kind of towards the end. Now, what was the the third piece? Where I'm threat. Threat. Now that the one is until you have uh, strongly been indoctrinated by their conditions, uh, groomed, whatever you'd like to call it, by them. Uh, they won't use that until they know they totally got you. Uh, but on top of that, shaming and blaming are both huge. Um, ridicule, again, huge. But people won't stay with people that ridicule. Uh, another one where we do stay is the. Okay, so I misspoke there. I said um, people won't stay with people that ridicule. What hap- What I meant was is if you, they just walked up to you and you, before you have committed to them, if they started to ridicule you, you're, you'd be like, oh, back off. You're not, I'm not interested in you. But once you commit, once uh, you have totally committed to the relationship and women uh, could be marriage, could be living with them, uh, once they know that you're totally committed to them in the relationship, uh, they will start the ridicule. And it will be really light right at first. I think I bring this up. Oh, I'm just joking. You're seriously not going to get mad about that, are you? You know, and so forth. But the ridicule will start. It will increase uh, in intensity and time, of course. Okay, I'm going to continue. Well, maximize how great they are. Minimize how, uh, you know, all minimize you. Or they'll maximize all your faults, minimize all their faults. Um, recognize that. Um, that's kind of an easy one. You're like, uh so I have to change my clothes because you don't like them, but you're not going to change your clothes if I don't like them. I mean, we're, we're, we got a problem. What I meant by that was um, sometimes, you know, we like what we wear, right? We like who we are. We like what we wear. And if they're trying to change you, one of the things that they will try to change is your clothes. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to a friend of mine. Uh, just recently I've been talking to her and um, totally changed all of her clothes, totally, completely. And he would definitely say to me, um, I'm not going with you if you're wearing that. And I'm like, what, what's wrong with what I'm wearing? It's ugly. And I'm like, well, your shirt's dirty. you going to change your shirt? No. So they basically said, you're ugly. They're fine. They're great just by who who they are and what they – because – they're not going to bow to anything you have to say. You totally don't mean anything to them. Once you totally understand you have no value to these individuals, you will start to understand them a little bit more. Okay, I'm going to continue. I'm here. And and then they start telling you how bad you look (laughs) close. And it's something we would never say, ever. And uh, I do want you to look at healthy, unhealthy, Okay. Abusers are unhealthy. There's a lot of red flags. But think about what a healthy person would handle something. Would a healthy person ever say to you, change your clothes, man. Those are really ugly on you. Would they ever say that? No. That's unhealthy. I use the words healthy and unhealthy because of the fact that um, 
not that all domestic violence victims are healthy because they have to live with an unhealthy person so they become unhealthy, correct? But uh, it's it's a way to identify um, a red flag. Would a healthy person say, you know, you're wearing too much makeup? If I had a friend and I thought they were wearing too much makeup, I could care less. I liked who my friends are. And if they're wearing too much makeup or too light makeup, it's fine. No one cares. But that's a healthy response. An unhealthy response would be wanting them to change who they are. And that's a big thing for and uh, a red flag. Uh, but anyway, there are five things that they like to use. These are top five. One is, um, and when I was studying domestic violence uh, six years ago when I started, uh, believe it or not, six years ago, I didn't even know this community existed. And um, I started my PhD right after that and started studying day and night on everything I could find because I wanted to figure out what did I miss? How did I not see all of this? So um, the first thing uh, that was brought to my attention was uh, that they will use, can I say a cuss word? Go ahead. They will call, they will call you bitch. Um, they will, uh, um, and okay, so the first thing they will call you, or one of the first things, the first thing they'll call you is actually is crazy because they know that that will uh, kind of bend your ear a bit. Uh, they will may call you psycho. Uh, anything to dealing with <clears throat> crazy <clears throat> is usually first, but bitch is definitely on that top of that list. And I actually forgot to say crazy, and I was trying to think of it. I'm like, what is that? Uh, because I, I, when I started to study, and I brought this up, when I started to study what went wrong in this relationship, what, what could I have done different or what's going on? Uh, I was giving a pamphlet by the, uh, it's called Better Person Advocacy in Oregon. And I, and they said, you know what, because you're so, you know, literate, we're going to give you the advocate pamphlet so you can understand this a little bit more. And so they did, and I was just in shock when I'm like, oh, my gosh, those five things that they say is exactly what he did. You know, he did add extra adjectives to crazy. He used psycho as well. So <laughs> they will do that. They'll add, they'll add a whole bunch of different adjectives and hoping that that ridicule is going to demean you and push you down a little bit lower. Okay, I'm going to continue on. And right now I'm trying to remember the word crazy. I don't know why. That just slipped my mind at the time. Okay, here we go. And uh, they may add to adjectives to that. That mine did add adjectives to, to bitch. And then um, they will also talk about your weight, talk about, uh, negatively, of course. They will talk about your um, sexuality negative. They will talk about your, uh, and this is to you, they're diminishing you. They're uh, bringing you down to size. Uh, they will talk about your looks. Um, you don't put on enough makeup. You put on too much makeup. Um, all of that. And be really, really um, cruel. And they know how to do it. And the problem with us is, is we adore them. Because we fell in love with someone else. And this is how... Okay, before I go on uh, with the show, because I'm going to start um, explaining uh, what how abusers work, I do want to add that 
these people, they need to, now I said bring you down to size. No, they need to bring you down into the gutter. It's, they want you so low that they have complete control over you. And they'll do anything to obtain that. They, they, they need that complete control over someone. And once they've latched onto you as that new someone, uh, then they won't let go. And, but luckily, you know, their old victim is no longer their victim. And, uh, that's how that's how it works. But so here I'm going to talk about the different phases of how an abuser works. How I explain it to people is we fell in love with Mr. A. Mr. A is perfect. He is the man of our dreams. He's the person we've been looking for our whole life. He uh, is kind, caring, considerate. He's serves in the church. He's amazing. And then slowly we have person B. Person B is very mean and the abuser. And he slowly moves in because this is just a facade. So we're in love with the facade and slowly the abuser moves in uh, and and that's and once he starts abusing, it will be, he won't walk up to you and just start hitting you because he'll leave, right? He'll just say little things. And then he'll love to say, I'm just joking after that. Or are you serious? Don't say you serious. That's, that's, don't, why do you do that? And then again, that's another form of ridicule, right? So understand that women are madly in love with the man that they're in love with. And they have to go through a grieving process after it's over when they realize I didn't marry this man. I married this man, and this man somehow left, and this man somehow showed up. I don't even know. Okay, I didn't uh, go on on the grieving process, but let me explain something really quick. The grieving process is so very important for you to understand. When you realize that the person that you married is not the person that you married, you grieve the person that you, you fell in love with. Now, I I love it when people say, so why do they go back so many times? Okay, let me ask you this. Have you ever met a person who um, that had a death of their spouse that they didn't say, hey, I wish I could spend one more day with them, one more minute with them. Uh, I wish I, I wish they were here right now. I've never met a grieving widow or widower that ever that didn't ever say that they always wish that they could have just a few more minutes and that's it that's victims we want a few more minutes the man that we married and we have to keep going back to see oh uh he because he comes back to draw us back in and then he leaves and then they the man we married comes out again and they draw us back and then he leaves and this person that they truly are is the one that shows up constantly and the one we don't like so the reason why women go back on and on is number one we are uh, committed to the relationship but number two we're grieving the loss of the person that we married and fell in love with and when they show us that person that gives us hope oh he's not dead he's still here and and that is that is the 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 god's awful truth that we believe that he is still there the man we married is still there 
And seriously, if I had one inkling that my ex-husband would be be the person that he pretended to be, I'd be there in a minute. But I know he's not, and he never will be. And that's the sad, very sad truth. So I'm going to continue on. Know that man. I was there. So my ex-husband I knew for 38 years before I married him. He was never cruel to me, never unkind to me. Um, just very matter of fact. And I knew him since I was 15. We dated off and on through life. And, and then we married. And within a year, he was so so horrible he literally he beat me up on the way out and um it it was it was something i would never ever ever fathom him doing to me ever (laughs) um his dad is an attacker so i don't mean to hold you off right there but all these people we're taking notes this is amazing we've got terry i mean he is putting it down he's writing it in there he's putting it there he's going to be delivering books um, he just asked for 32 books to go out to shelters in um, Indiana. I mean, wow, he, he looks like he's learning. He's getting ready. He's yeah. understanding all of these things. And look at all the people here that heard, I'm joking. Yes, I'm joking. Um, oh, my gosh, so true. All of these people are agreeing with you, and they probably have had some experience in the past with this, and they understand. Yes, yes, yes. So it looks like you are really ringing bells here with all of us. Shireen, so I didn't mean to interrupt you, but what I'm saying is you're a great teacher, and they're taking notes, and so well done. (laughs) All my students are taking notes, too. They go, like, don't stop, don't stop. Actually, I spent, like, two or three hours talking about different aspects of this, and and they were just like, don't stop. Just keep going. We need this information, and it is good information. I wish I had it. Um, Other things that they might do is, of course, I said criticism. Um threatening, yelling, raising voice, uh, you'll feel like you're walking on eggshells. Okay, I want to emphasize the raising voice. Raising voice is a method used to control. And um, law enforcement love to do that because they, a lot of them, as we know, 43% are abusers. And uh, that is not necessarily a way that you need to control people. Sometimes it agitates the situation instead of fixes the situation. I, I, I need to share a situation that's kind of interesting. I was just talking about a young girl that uh, I was in um, a group of uh, like 30 DVs uh, advocates. And I was just talking about um, a girl that was killed up in Northern Utah at a school, a college. And this cop just starts yelling at me. And when a cop starts talking to me, I let them talk. And the first three words out of his mouth, where evil just happens and then he starts yelling at me you don't know what happened and blah 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 and just on and on and on anyway so he used five dv uh, he used five um abuse tactics uh, abuse tactics um red flags so what do you think do you think i'm thinking right there that he's one of the 43 percent absolutely and also i took the first three words out of his mouth and that's going to be the topic of my next book on um, how um, law enforcement judicial officials re-victimize abuse victims. And so that's that's actually um, 
one of my experiences with someone who wants to raise their voice. Don't raise your voice. You don't need to. Uh, we raise our voice to try to get control back if you're a, a victim or survivor, right? Uh, there's no need. And if there's anyone that can irritate us more than anything, it's an abuser. They can irritate us really badly. So, and push those buttons that make us raise our voice, right? And then all of a sudden, oh, you're the abuser because you're using the abuse tactics. So, not so. Um, We are uh, just defending ourselves, really. Uh, Or we think uh, using those same tactics they use is going to, going to, you know, their own medicine type thing. You know, if I give you back your own medicine, maybe you'll understand what I'm going through. But no, they they don't care. Uh, That gives them more excuse to abuse you, just so you know. If you use one of their tactics on them, they will have an excuse to call you an abuser and them a victim or to use more abuse tactics on you. So, and let me continue on. So he doesn't get mad or upset. You're afraid. Um, he puts you down or embarrasses you in public. Uh, that's a big one sometimes. Um, when you get home, you know you're getting it. If he gives you the look. And the problem with it is, is when we're out in public, we uh, don't know how to respond to the abuse. And it may not appear to even be abuse to someone else. And in fact, it may be look like, why is she getting so upset over that? Because we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. That's why. (laughs) And uh, Uh, I'm going to stop it again right there. Let me share something with you. There was an incident. uh, It was in Salt Lake. And there was this girl that supposedly hit this guy. They were boyfriend and girlfriend. Well, Women typically do not use physical violence. Men usually use physical violence. Women usually use psychological violence if they're going to abuse. But victims react to abuse, and they usually react physically. As a teacher, sometimes, uh, you know, I'm sitting there talking to the students. All of a sudden, I'll see someone whack another kid. And I'm like, I look at the one who got whacked, and I say, what did you do that made him want to do that? And he's like, he's the one that hit me. And I'm like, okay, so... He doesn't hit people. He doesn't just go out and hit people. So why did he hit you? And the problem with law enforcement, and I'm not bagging on him. My dad was law enforcement as well, but there are 43% that are abusers. And so we need to discuss that 43%. One of the problems that they have in identifying a victim versus an abuser as a victim will react, of course, self-defense. Uh, sometimes physically to a, a psychological and um, or still self-defending, correct? And it's still physical. Uh, they look at the person who did the hitting. They don't look at the other person. And so that's that's the problem. That's the biggest problem. Okay, I'm going to continue. You know, it's we react. And sometimes we react. Abusers, victims always react to abuse. We always, we just do it. And I'm not sure why we do it, but I still do it. Um, sometimes I catch myself doing it when I see someone abusing me. And then, um, and then I call them on it and they don't like me anymore. And it's okay. 
Okay, so that's pretty much in reference to that uh, one radio show that I had on called A Letter from an Abuser when this guy was texting me and I thought he was totally awesome. And he told me, yeah, I used to abuse. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, and you got help, and you're all better, and I would really love to sit down and talk to you sometime. And it, <laughs> it was hilarious. And then he starts being abusive. He's like, he's, well, I can't remember what he said to me. And I said to him, are you being judgmental? I, and I was just in shock because uh, people who are in uh, a recovery from abuse or from, you know, victimization, they don't usually judge people. They're usually more compassionate, more empathetic. And, and then I started seeing all these red flags and I said, oh my gosh, I said, I really don't want to con- continue this conversation. Oh, and then I got ridiculed. You're just playing the victim. You know, one thing that an, an abuser will always say, well, there's two things. The first thing is if uh, you do anything to them, you're, they say that they are the victim. So they're the first ones usually to say they're the victim. But if you say, wait, hold on, what, you know, what are you doing? This isn't right. They'll, then they'll say, you're playing the victim. And it's, it's a form of ridicule. It's uh, demeaning you. It's whatever they can do. So how that actually turned out is I just said, you know what? Okay, so I'll tell you the truth. So what I did is I took our conversation. I sent it to three of my friends uh, who are all PhD therapists. Uh, we're all in psychology PhDs, right? So uh, they're therapists. I am not. I'm a psychologist. And uh, anyway, so they sent it to all their, I sent it to all my friends. And I said, so what is your take? And the first one said, well, this, my take is he needs more therapy. Another one's my take is he's got a huge problem. He needs a whole lot more help than he's getting. And then the third one said, uh, does he know who you are? <laughs> and I said, yes, I told him, you know, all my, all of my everything's in domestic violence. I told him everything, you know, everything. And he still talked to me like that. You would think that an abuser could at least hold it together while they're talking to someone that they want to abuse for at least 30 minutes or whatever time he couldn't keep it together. And so I, uh, I did let him know that uh, the recommendations of my PhD therapist friend, and uh, he wrote something back. I did not read it because I knew it wouldn't be appropriate and he's never talked to me since, which is fine. Um, I'm okay with that. We we were really kind of just acquaintances. I never really got a good feeling when I was around him, but um, he was very nice, and they all are, aren't they? Yes. When you meet them, they're just charismatic, charming to the max, uh, but they'll abuse women at the drop of a hat, and I know that he has because I've talked to some friends and some things that he has done that's very, very inappropriate especially when he knows who these young ladies are. Anyway, so um, that's what I was talking about when I said, and he doesn't want to talk to me anymore, and I'm okay with it. Okay, so I'm going to continue on now. Because <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> um, but um, so let me see, where was I? It, it was uh, eggshells is horrible. Being embarrassed in public is horrible. Um 
and you just don't know what to do, really. Uh, you will react to their abuse, and you may react in the same way that they abuse you. So that doesn't make you an abuser. What that makes you is a victim, and you're trying to use abuse tactics to respond. What it will do is it will <laughs> take it from the expert. <laughs> it will just backfire on you. So you have to kill them with kindness, really. Either if they're a narcissist, I would totally ignore it. If they're sociopath, I wouldn't ignore it because they'll make your life a living pest. Um, but other things that uh, they may do is they'll isolate you from your friends and family, uh, control you, control your money. Uh, they won't allow you to make your own decisions. And, and just so you know, you're a pet. You are not a person. You are a pet. And nothing you say matters. It just doesn't matter. Uh, whatever you want to do, um it's his decision like i love movies and so i would like to go to them and so he would say you better pick one where there's explosions or someone dying in the first five minutes or we're walking out of here and so that's how controlling he was and i would allow it um it was it was horrible so anyway um <clears throat> living with him was uh very very difficult and and he was very, very serving of the community. Everyone loved him. Just so you know, everybody loves these guys. They're very charismatic. They're usually very active in their church. He was not um, even religious, which was fine with me because I've known him so long. But um, they'll raise their voice. Uh, or they'll, uh, if you have kids with them, sometimes they'll turn on the kids to hurt you. They won't hurt you personally. They'll turn on the children. And that's when you really need to start thinking about moving out. Um, physical abuse is actually not the worst. Of, of course, it's the psychological abuse that they do. Um, he will say he loves you, but the unfortunate part is he's unable to love anybody. So physical and sexual abuse isn't even considered um, partially as bad as psychological abuse because that's where the PTSD, the anxiety, the depression uh, usually comes in. It's from that. The suicidal ideation. And just so you know, uh, victims of abuse think of homicide. They have homicidal and suicidal thoughts because how do you get out of it? Uh, and how do you protect your children after? And how do you protect others after? I mean, I know the first thing that went through my mind is I don't think I have a choice. I think I have to kill this guy because if I don't, he's going to hurt someone else when he's done with me. And I, ha I already knew his first two wives. Uh, his first wife was actually a good friend of mine in high school. And then um, I went and met his second wife and talked to her and found out what a lot of the truths were because, of course, you know, his mouth was moving, so therefore I know he was lying. Um, but um, one thing abusers will do is they'll throw you under the bus. One thing a victim will do is throw themselves in front of the bus. You always want to save them. And I don't know why that is. But after I got very badly beat up, I had two black eyes. And what I did, the first thing I did was put on makeup because I wanted to protect him. And that's what we do. We protect our abuser. We're, we're groomed and conditioned to protect our abuser. And so we do. We do everything that we think we need to do. Uh, just to give you a little bit of insight, one time I said, hey, I'm doing some homework. Can you do uh, the dishes? So he walked into the kitchen and started throwing them on the floor and breaking them. I mean, that's a good way to get them done, I guess, right? But it wasn't what I had in mind. <laughs> okay, and I don't say this, but that was one of his 
forms of showing he had power and control over me was throwing the dishes on the floor. I will do the darn dishes when I feel like doing the darn dishes. And you interrupted my show on TV. So that was basically his response to that. That that I did the wrong thing by asking him to do the dishes at all. Okay, I'm going to continue on. (laughs) Buying new dishes was not um, what I had in mind at all. So this whole concept, it looks like, again, people are just connecting, connecting, connecting. Um, I wanted to throw some of these comments up here because they're awesome. Public shaming, the look. Victims often react to their abuse. Yes. Um, The best way to drive a narcissist is to ignore them. Um, You either love them, love me. Like this whole, this one's powerful. I often felt like I was enslaved. Yeah. And you are, you're a pet. You are. You have no value. You're a pet. And you're enslaved. This, this is so interesting, you know. So, like, you disagree with him, then, well, you, then you don't love me. They, you know, they flip so, so quickly. And, and this controlling piece and then turning on the children. I know within my own experience, we do. We do protect. And for my own self, I protected because I was embarrassed. I thought, I'm an intellectual, smart person. What am I doing? This was not who I married. Slowly over time, you know, the beast came out and all of those things. And even as the children were suffering through it and I'm trying to now protect, it became just an hour-by-hour survival until, I, I think this part really hasn't been mentioned yet, but they're great at isolating us, right? And so in our isolation... Who are we going to turn to? And so those thoughts of, well, we're going to have to escape or, or get rid of them or warn the world, like, what are we going to do? And in my isolation, that was definitely when I was in the lowest part. And in my book, I call it the abyss of the abuse. There was no hope. There was no light. I couldn't see a way out, nothing. I'm like, I guess this is it. This is what happened. Right. And with my five children that I had with him, my first three boys have autism. And so as their outbursts and behaviors and things happen, just as sensory needs weren't being met all the way, my eggshell moments were so intense because if one went off, I knew all were going to get it. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And so that triggering feeling of who who and how and, and the, the conditioning that I fell into would create the bubbles, create the bubbles, create the safety, you know, peace at all, peace at all costs. I didn't care. I remember going weeks without showering, weeks without eating. We just just keep, keep one step ahead, one step ahead, one step ahead as much as possible. And it was so exhausting. And I just didn't know what else to do. And that's the way that things had to happen. So in the concept of it, we're up now. It's all working now. Oh, so anyway, the point is, is that when we were going through all of these challenges, the isolation was also compounding it. I didn't have a network. I didn't have support. I didn't have anyone. Right. Until one tiny, tiny piece of hope, and it actually came through a phone call, which had nothing to do with domestic violence, but it had everything to do with what saved us. I was asked to be part of a committee on a board for a school that was just being started, and the school's focus was about autism. Talk about my ticket. That was my ticket out, and I didn't realize it even at the time, but subconsciously, you know, I feel like Heavenly Father was like, okay, 
now we're going to be able to start showing these lights because I was then at my point where I was ready to start making some type of a plan. I had seen, felt, and experienced enough red flags that I was ready. So I didn't mean to completely interrupt you, but wow, these, these people are just coming, sharing so much, and this, all of these things are, are just fantastic. Look at what Kathy has to say here. She says, I would love to know the behavior behind protecting. And uh, that, that's a really powerful question. Uh, uh, it's because we're nurturers and because they've conditioned us. Uh, one thing, the first thing they do, in fact, I, I teach my own six-fold phase method. And I always say, because I'm a PhD student, I can make up these things. But um, <laughs> it is a little more than that. The first thing they do is they will... Uh, I call it the trap, is they will whine you and dine you and teach you, you know, just suck you in because we're nurturers. You know, poor me, look at me. I had to go through this experience. It was a horrible one. You know, it's not my fault. Um, look what she did to me. So as nurturers, we get, we get pulled in. And then the con, the con is they try to get you to commit. Now, keep in mind also, commit is different for everyone. It could be marrying. It could be living with them when they get the conditioning really going. And look at Ray Rice. And remember his uh, girlfriend fell out of the elevator unconscious, and she still married him, right? <laughs> you would think, uh, uh, no. But that's not what happened. She was already conditioned and uh, conned into uh, staying with him basically through grooming and through conditioning. Then the next phase that will happen immediately, immediately after they know that you are committed to them, because women, we, we grew up with babies in our arms, right? We learn how to be mothers. We learn how to be wives. We practice all of that. They grow up with a football in their hands. There's a difference. Um, so they uh, don't look at life the way we have built our life. So we're completely different, and we're very emotional. And and very nurturing. It's just part of us. Anyway, so the, the third uh, phase is they will immediately begin, begin to practice abuse at that time. Not during uh, the trap and not during the con. As soon as they got you, as soon as they know that you have they have clinched phase two, they will immediately do phase four. Now, on top of that, and this what causes the crazy making, I call it the red rose phase. Baby, you're beautiful. You know, I'm sorry I hit you. I really didn't mean to. It was just something that happened. Or, you know, I'm just joking. Again, that's another red rose. Uh, let's go to a movie because you so deserve it. Um, anything that's really kind. So our head is going, okay, is he a, a horrible person? Or is he, this is a wonderful person that I married. This is cool. He's back. He was just having a bad day. He was just having a bad moment. We rationalize. Because, why? Because we're nurturers. Okay, so this will go back and forth between phase three and phase four on several occasions until you're really kind of fed up and you're like, okay, now I'm mad. Then you go on a honeymoon. The honeymoon will not last more than 60 days. Honeymoons don't. They just can't do it uh, because they're abusers, right? They're raised to be abusers. And so they cannot last more than 60 days. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. You said something very powerful. They're raised. To be abusers. Mm -hmm. Now, if you guys tune in next week on the 7th of October, our next speaker is going to be talking about prevention and about raising boys to become men who will stand 
against violence. What yeah. we've learned in the prevention side of this, domestic abuse, domestic violence, any of it, it's not a women's problem. Right. It's a man's problem. And we need male leaders to stand. And in, uh, you know, Terry, you can probably, you can probably, because you're a guy out there, so you can probably, I would say, relate to this, is that male leaders have immense power and understanding. And our desire to belong to a group, you know, makes that want to connect. So there are poor leaders, terrible leaders that will, you know, lead us into to awful things. And, and I, I'll just give examples like gangs and, and so on and so forth. But there's still leadership, and so we will follow. So think about positive leadership that create amazing things. There's, you know, sports teams that have really good positive outcomes, and their focus and goal is really to raise amazing athletes, boys, youth, to become the men that they want to see, right? Now, it's never in a perfection type of thing, but this concept and idea, and if we can get more male leadership, and yes, I use the word male leadership, to help raise our boys, then what you just said, they were raised to be abusers, becomes less and less and less, and that's the prevention. And so tune in next week for that. It's going to be incredible. So thank you so much for saying those, those things. <coughs> I want to just pull up a few more comments because look at this. I'm resonating so much with what she's teaching. Um, yes, male leaders must stand against abuse. I will say in my marriage, I was the abuser. In fact, the relationship, it was the guy. I mean, amazing to, to see all of these things that are, that are coming out. What you just stated, the honeymoon will not last more than 60 days, raised to be abusers. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal things. People are, are jumping all over the place here. Red rose face, flattery, compliments. Look, they are listening. <laughs> they are listening. And... You know, this drive to lead, you do sports, conquest, conquering scenarios, these kinds of things. But if it's done in a positive way, wow, what big change can happen. So we, we're covering a lot, a lot of information here. And, and, and this is amazing. So we've talked about some red flags. We're talking about this power and control right now. The third piece, which you'll see that, that's sliding around here on the bottom here, is to trust your gut. So, Shireen, tell us about that concept about trusting your gut? Uh, the best book I ever read on this, and I wish I learned it as a teen, is called The Gift of Fear. And you will have a gut feeling. It was really crazy because I would go out to dinner with him and his, his son and his wife, and we'd be having a really nice time, and I would just start crying. And the reason why is because we all have spirits, right? And our spirits know the bad spirit. And we, uh, and your spirit will tell you that's a bad spirit. And I had no idea that when sometimes I just start shaking when I was around him or crying and I, he just thought I was a total basket case. <laughs> so did I actually, I thought, man, I'm going crazy. What's going on here? And so, um, I didn't really, it wasn't me. I'm, uh, if you know me, I'm like cracking jokes all the time. I love life. Um, I, uh, I love everything, you know, I don't ever have a problem, I'm not usually crying and upset, but when you are, that's the anxiety, of course, right, and um, and the PTSD usually comes with, uh, the, usually the physical abuse, the uh, anxiety usually comes with the psychological abuse, so does the depression, 
Um, might I add, uh, men aren't the only abusers. Women are abusers, of course, but we're psychological. Women are psychological abusers, typically. Um, men are typically psychological and physical, and physical can is usually escalated. They will not just walk up and hit you. They will groom you before that ever happens. Um, but one thing I'd like to add uh, before, uh, as we continue on, is the last phase, the sixth phase, is what's called the discard phase. If you have not already started to prepare for safety and leave, uh, they will discard you. And it's the most inhumane um, time period because they now have completely avoided them, avoided you out in their life. And you are just nothing more than um, a, you're a pet. And you, they need to get rid of you because now you're a liability. And so that is the most dangerous time period. Uh, if you see anything like that coming, your gut, you absolutely, your gut trust it because it, I, I wish I learned that in the, like I said, when I was a teen. Um, so I have two methods actually, actually I have three methods, but one is my gut feeling and I just wrenching. Also, I listen to kind of my spirit, um, and how it feels, but also sometimes things doesn't add up and I'm like, okay, so something's just not right here, but I don't know what it is. That means run. Run when that happens. <laughs> Do not stay around to find out why. Um, and the gut feeling as well. Listen to it. Do not stand around or, or anything. Don't stay and find out why. Um, I never tell anyone to leave an abusive situation because that's, we all know that 72% of all deaths occur upon trying to... I made a mistake there. It's 74 percent of all deaths occur when someone is trying to leave or has left um, and that's um, I'm sorry I should put it in more perspective not 72 percent of the people that leave it's 72 percent of the homicides of domestic violence are when they are trying to leave or when they have left to leave or after they've left so I say prepare for safety and that that does entail a whole lot you probably have someone talking about that April next next week I do. I do. I have someone um, on the 26th of October talking about exit plans and, and all of these kinds of things that we can do to prepare for safety. So, like I said, this is why I had Shireen come up first. We've got ourselves an expert here to really set the stage for so many things that are coming up, you know, through the entire month. And so I hope everyone continues to, to come forward here. So we have our sixth phase of discard. We're now trusting our gut. If you feel these flags happening, if you feel something's not adding up, it, it, go, go, go. And we have a little bit of a breakup. Can you share the statistics again about if somebody leaves, why it's the most dangerous time? Can you share that again? Well, the, the statistics are that 74% of all um, abuse, or I'm sorry, of all deaths that occur are occurring during that time period. Um, why does it happen? It's because they are losing control of you. Even though they discarded you, they still have lost control of you, and they don't like it. Um, so to have more control of you, they become a little bit more physical, and um, death occurs. And they're okay with that, unfortunately. Yes, unfortunately. And uh, in the experience of, of our situation, we had an episode which I termed in the book, that night and through through our nine and a half years of marriage the the events that happened it was like 
oh, I'll know. I'll just save them all up and put them all together in one night and do everything. Mm-hmm. Strangulations, guns, knives, everything happened in one night. And the, the next morning when we made it through, there was, it was this, this concept of a hurricane, right? As the first phase of the hurricane comes through and you don't think you're going to make it, suddenly the eye comes across. Blue sky, it's okay, it's this pause before the second half comes in. Yeah. And I knew when the second half was coming, we had been spared by an eighth of an inch. I, I knew I wasn't going to get that lucky again. And well, we had about eight minutes to get out of there. Yeah, yeah, that, that we knew the back end was, was coming. And, and I didn't want to be the news story right. uh, at 10 o'clock that, that um, I don't really get to listen to because I'm unfortunately somewhere else. And so I thought, yeah, that, that's it. And, and again, it looks like we've got people resonating here. We've got Sophie saying, you know, yes, wait. That, I mean, this is amazing, amazing stuff. We have people literally listening. I love this. Prepare for safety. And, yeah, we don't usually listen when, you know, we think that I have, like, wait a minute, what's what's going on here? There's so many things to, to know, to wait, to see. And I love your term of preparing for safety because, you know, it's put into places where, really, when we have that supporter and that network together, our preparation for safety can actually become successful, which it was for us. I know that if that hurricane, so to speak, had come in and I hadn't done the preparations for our safety connected with a network, we wouldn't have made it out. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible and, and very, very scary at the same time. And it, it helps reduce um, anxiety, I think, because of the fact that when you're saying, you need to leave, you need to leave, you need to leave, why would you stay in that situation? It causes a lot of anxiety. Someone who's already feeling a ton of anxiety, and they're like, I know, but how am I going to get away from this? What they really need is they need someone to say, okay, so this is what you need. You need a bank account without your name on it, without his name on it, and he doesn't know anything about it. You need to start saving money in that bank account. You need to get another phone that he doesn't know anything about you need to start taking clothes over to a friend's house money over to a friend's house you need to make sure that the car is in your name so he doesn't say you stole it um you need to find out about your insurance how's that going to help when you leave uh or is it going to be cut off can you handle that uh do you have a job do you have training do you have you know uh you need to think of all these things that doesn't mean you have to have them all done before you leave you definitely should have a different, a different bank account. You should definitely have a phone that he doesn't know anything about. And you should have a little bit of money saved if possible. You should also have some clothes at a friend's house. I mean, most of us women, we have so many clothes. He'd never know what was missing anyway. Um, same with the kids. If you have kids, you know, um, also take some stuff over there. Don't tell them anything. And the reason why is because for some reason, and I haven't figured out what it is, kids feel a duty to an abuser. It's because they're conditioned and they're groomed as well, right? But uh, you just say, uh, I'm sure we've all seen the burning bed. You say, get in the car. We need to go. Um, something's come up and I need to take care of that. And you don't tell them where you're going. And um, they're upset because, oh, we're leaving daddy, you know, but they don't know what's really going on. They may never know what's going on. I'm just going to say that. They may never know. And um, a lot of times the abuser is able to turn the kids against the parent, even when the kids know what that parent has done to that to that woman and that's done it to themselves as well. 
it's really a challenging time. It's, it's absolutely right. So in all of these red flags and all of these things that we've talked about tonight, um, can we leave with a little bit of hope? Can yeah. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can actually recover. <laughs> actually, um, I won't say you can completely recover. Um, PTSD, I think, uh, minimizes the time. Uh, you have to actually work at it. Um, I teach uh, healing and empowerment, of course, because that's what my um, dissertation is on. Um, but I usually use the Lord in there because uh, Jesus Christ is the uh, complete, uh, he's, he's the main healer of life, right? And uh, I found for myself, um, even though I have all these best friends that would have just dropped everything and came and got me in a second, I trusted no one. I didn't tell any of my family what was happening. I didn't tell. I was too embarrassed. I was too shameful. Um, I hurt too badly. I didn't want to tell anyone. So I said, Heavenly Father, it's me and you, and it's only me and you, and we need to talk about this because I don't know what to do. And he didn't leave me. Right. Uh, Sophie says amen. Yeah. And there was many times where I had that good conversation with my Heavenly Father and in building our, our network um, to help leave, to find the bank accounts, to get that job, all those things, I, I kind of had, like, I could share these three things. And that's all the other person needed to know because all of this was just between he and I. And, yeah. and that was okay because with what I could present with my kind of three ideas, the three topics, the three things I was willing to share, I think they felt something that was like, I don't need to know anymore. I'm not going to be, she needs a supporter. And this is where that concept of the ultimate supporter comes in. They act like a first responder. As the first responder comes into an emergency, then the first thing they, they don't, when they show up, that well, who started this fire? Well, why yeah. are you sick? What did you do? <laughs> not now. They're right there to help. And they, they've had training very specifically. They see blood. We're going to wrap that up. We're not going to ask all these. That's the detective's job. That's the other thing. We, we're going to come in, we're going to do this part. And so for those people that want to be supportive, if you have a nephew, a niece, a daughter, a sister, a brother, an uncle, an aunt, anyone that you know that might be in abuse, an abuse situation, elderly, youth, any, any, any and all, it doesn't matter. The point is, is if you are going to be committed to become that supporter, there are several things that, that must be you know, put into place. And this concept about that first responder is, is huge. And it's also along with the idea of a boundary. Now, this boundary is not conditional, meaning, well, they said they were going to leave, and they went back. They said they were going to leave, and they went back. Well, that's the third time. Strikes, they're out. Nope, not going to help anymore. No, 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 no. has nothing to do with you. Right. It has everything to do with them, because we don't know what they were last threatened with. No. We have no idea. And so when if they pull out at the last minute, you go, I'll be here for the next time. That's, yeah. Because it's not about us. It's about helping them. And that's the ultimate supporter. And so it's, it's that whole concept of, of doing these things in, in ways that, that really need some support and training. And, and that's what I'm hoping that this Domestic Violence Conference, Uniting in Light, will really help with. And so, Shereen, thank you so much for sharing amazing things. There's been so many great comments up here. A lot of people can relate. Sophie says, God is why I'm alive today. Trust his, his grace, his mercy. mercy right? I mean, That's amazing, amazing. This, this is in a whole process. 
and so I hope that everyone continues to join with us. Let's give, you know, thanks so much for, for Shireen and so many people who have participated. I'm going to put up here on some links down below all of the things that, that SAVE, S-A-V-V-E, the, the organization that um, Shireen has put together along with her conference information and uh, anything else that you guys might need. I'll also post the, the supporters toolkit, which I, I have out there. Okay, the conversation was pretty much over by that point. Um, I uh, wanted to leave with one thing, and and that is listen, really listen to your gut. That is the most important part of the red flags, is listen to your gut. If things don't add up in your brain, it, you might not be able to see it. We want to see it. We want to feel it, um, but but it doesn't add up. Um, I told you I'm working with this friend right now, and she indicated she's just kind of realized that he's abusive towards her. And uh, she said to me, she says, I'm not ready. And I said, you're probably not ready. And and don't leave until you're ready. And when you're ready, then leave. And she said, but you'll be there. I said, I'll be there. I'll be there for you. It doesn't matter, people, how many times these victims or survivors go back to their abuser. You do not know what they've been through. You do not know what they've been threatened with or why they're going back. It's not really our business either, to be honest. Uh, They need to be psychologically ready to leave. And until that time happens, it's, it's not going to happen. And it's okay. It's okay. And I know you're like, well, what if they end up dead? Well, uh, then they're in a better place, aren't they? Then they don't have to deal with him ever again. I, I can tell you straight up that most victims at some point felt that that was such a better better option. Suicide and homicide, very popular among victims of abuse. And uh, because they not only don't want to live through it anymore, but they want anyone else to have to live through it either. And, and that's why. Uh, again, uh, Jesus is our healer. He is all healing. He is the one that helps us the most. I will say that I had uh, an occurrence that happened, oh, 40-something years ago, and I had the hardest time getting away, uh, getting rid of it. And um, so I went to a therapist and said, I need EMDR. And I do uh, recommend EMDR. It uh, desensitizes the event and uh, the person. So you don't really think that nothing matters that they don't, you don't give, uh, you, you don't give a, a price tag or a, a quality or a, a feeling towards that event anymore. And so it's, it's, it's over. So use the Lord and all that you can do. And if you need something, uh, EMDR, uh, CBD, DB something, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things out there too that can help you. And uh, though I'm very big on on talk therapy, or uh, you know, I I do highly recommend it. Um, I also highly recommend uh, social environments, and one could be an online social environment. Social groups are very, very, very therapeutic. Um, it's what most women indicate uh, is the biggest thing. 
for their recovery. So uh, you can recover from abuse, uh, the psychological effects. It does take a lot of time. I can't tell you how many times I woke up screaming and crying. It's, it's part of the PTSD. Well, I want to leave this with you. Prepare for safety. Uh, remember the phases and absolutely remember the red flags and definitely go with your gut feeling. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.